It has been a little while since we've been here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we were making our way through. We actually started last uh, September walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We, uh, we took a break from that in July, August, and September, and now we're returning to it at verse 19 in chapter 6, and we're going to carry on to the end. That's uh, where we're going uh, in this next season. In the late 70s, uh, singer-songwriter Bob Dylan had an experience uh, of coming to faith in Jesus. He was born again, and uh, in that season, he produced and released three albums, his Christian trilogy. The first of those albums was called uh, Slow Train Coming. It was released in 1979, and the forefront song in that, some of you will be familiar with, was called You Gotta Serve Somebody. Some of you know that song. You're familiar with it. At the core of that song is a simple but profound spiritual message that no matter who you are, no matter what your status, no matter uh, what you've accumulated, no matter your achievements, uh, no matter any of those things, you got to serve somebody. You got to serve somebody. You will inevitably do that. It It is just a reality. That is true for everyone. And his chorus of that song repeats over and over again with this truth, with hypnotic insistence. And the chorus, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it might be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Over and over and over again, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. The spiritual truth that Bob Dylan recognized and about which he sang in that song is the spiritual truth that Jesus speaks to us this morning in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. It is the spiritual truth that we are going to focus our attention on this morning, that you got to serve somebody. Now, it's been a while since we've been here in the Sermon on the Mount, and so for a reminder for those of us who have been walking through this and for anyone who is just joining us or or has not been with us from the beginning, I want to spend a little bit extra time this morning uh, helping us get our heads and hearts back into this Sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of time retracing our steps, bringing us up to where we're picking things up this morning. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, the longest single block of Jesus' teaching that we have in the Bible Uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is prefaced by the announcement of good news. The good news is that in the coming of Jesus Christ, a whole new order of existence is breaking into this world. The future is spilling into the present. Heaven is invading the earth. I have been contending throughout this series that when the good news takes root in a person's life, when it takes root in a community of people, uh, those people uh, are changed. Something happens And that something that happens is described for us here in the Sermon on the Mount. The something that is the creation of a new kind of people, gospelized humanity. Human beings with different character traits. Human beings with different ambitions and different behaviors. Human beings who look different, who have been changed. The Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus giving us a new law, a new set of rules. He's not giving us the old law cranked up on steroids. This is not about rules. It's not about a new way of living. No, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus describing for us, painting a picture for us of what we look like when the good news takes root in our hearts, when the Spirit of God has His way in us. 
by the power of the gospel, by the power of his spirit, we are changed, we are transformed. The Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. Eight blessed are statements. Blessed are, a fortunate, right? One theologian, I said, he, it blessed, it, happy, but more than happy. Happy doesn't get at it. It's, it's God's perspective on us. And, and one theologian says, you know, you could translate it, you lucky bums. It's, you're blessed. And, and the Beatitudes describe Christian character, gospelized character, and it begins, importantly, with the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's where this whole sermon begins. Blessed are those who recognize that you come to God with empty hands. You come with only need. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. The other seven Beatitudes that follow that are not describing seven other different kinds of Christians, that one Christian is poor in spirit, and one is meek, and one mourns, and one hungers and thirsts for righteousness, etc. No, all of these flow together and work together. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. From the Beatitudes, Jesus moves on to speak of gospelized influence. When the gospel takes root in our hearts, when we are transformed by him, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Not be salt, not be light, but you are. This is who you are. I, I've placed you in this world as agents of the kingdom, uh, as salt to prevent and stop decay, as, as, as light to shine in the darkness. From there, Jesus mo moves on to gospelized behavior. He gives us six illustrations, not exhaustive, but of how the gospel changes how we live. He says, you've heard it said, don't murder. I say, if you hate in your heart, you've missed the point. Because I care not only about how you act, but what's going on inside. He says the same about adultery. Adultery isn't just if you jump in bed with someone. It's, it's what's going on in your mind. He, he, he explains to us God's good design for marriage and that divorce is not what he wants. He, he, he calls us to not... That to be truth tellers, that, that we don't use oaths to, to manipulate things, that we are just always those through the gospel who, who speak the truth. And he calls us in, a, in an age where retaliation is the normal response to violence, that we are not to act that way, that we're to turn the other cheek, that we are, in fact, to love our enemies. We could stop there and just camp out there today and as I prepare and thinking about what does that mean in the context of Ukraine? What does that mean in the context of Israel? To love your enemies, to be those who are gospelized. That's what Jesus says. This is who you become as my gospel takes root in you. Jesus turns from there and speaks to three matters of religious piety. Giving, praying, and fasting. And he, he says when you do these things, when you give, when you pray, when you when you fast, don't do these things to be seen by others. I care about what's going on in your heart, not just your actions. Do these in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. When you pray, go into a closet. When you, when you fast, put on your makeup, do your hair. Don't dis be all disheveled to, to show people, look at me. And from there, we circled back to what Jesus said about prayer, because Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer at this point. That's the last thing that we Walked through week by week each line. Jesus taught us to pray. When you pray, he said, pray our, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. 
Father, would you magnify, would you make visible in all the earth your glory, your goodness, your beauty, your kingdom come. Lord, Lord we know you're already king, but would you reign as king? Would you overcome evil? Would you, would you set things right in the world? Your will be done. Father, may your purpose and your good pleasure for this world uh, be accomplished. You want to bring a culture of blessing. Lord, bring it on. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, would, would we look to you as our provider daily for all that we need. Father, forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sinned against us. Lord, remind us of the monumental debt that you have washed away and transform us into men and women who, who respond in, in kind with grace and mercy to those when they sin against us. And lastly, lead us not into temptation. Lord, rescue us from our enemy. When we encounter times of testing, and we will, may they not become occasions in which we turn to sin. Deliver us, Lord. Deliver us, Father. Today, we come to a new section in the sermon, beginning in verse 19. We'll look at the first part today, and uh, not next week, but the week after, we'll look at the second part. And, and these two parts together speak uh, of how we are to live in this world as the gospel lies. How to, how to live in the world, but not of the world. And so today we pick things up at verse 19 of chapter 6. If you have your Bible, I invite you to follow along as I read. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. As we come to this new section of the Sermon on the Mount, I want to remind you again that Christianity is not a matter of compliance to a list of rules. Uh, we, we don't get right with God. We don't stay right with God by compliance to a set of rules. Uh, but I also want to remind you that, that Christianity, likewise, is not simply a matter of mental assent and saying a prayer, crossing a line, and then living however you want. You know, hey, I, I believed, I prayed, I'm good, I can go do my thing now. I have fire insurance. The gospel is about the good news that in Christ, God has come into this world to redeem us, to restore us, to rescue us from sin, to rescue us from the penalty of sin, to bring us into, in, back into relationship with Him, the relationship for which we were created. And when the gospel takes root in us, what have I been saying? We are transformed. Bit by bit, day after day, year after year, He is changing us. The good news rooted in us, the Spirit of the living God in us, will transform our lives. That is true about Christianity. Christianity is about living that new life, that life in Christ. Coming to faith in Christ, believing the good news, changes us. It, it changes our character. 
It changes the influence we have. It changes how we live. It changes our motivations, our ambitions. It impacts everything. Some of you perhaps have heard of Charlemagne. He was the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, crowned as such by Pope Leo III in the year 800 A.D. He was the most powerful ruler in Europe in the Middle Ages. And it became the norm, the expectation during his rule that all of his soldiers would be baptized to be Christian. We won't get into the theology of that. But one thing, and I don't know if this is true for sure, but, but one source says that, that when his soldiers went to be baptized, they would go into the water and they would hold their sword up in their fighting hand and they would be baptized except for that arm. The thought being, well, I want to maintain the right to kill who I want to kill, who I need to kill. So I'll give myself to Jesus, but not my fighting arm. We can laugh at that. But are we any better when we say, oh, Jesus, I'll give you most of my life. I'll give you this part of my life, but this I want to hold on to. That's the reality of what they were saying. There is... In the Christian life, there is for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, there is no split between what is God's and what is mine, between what is sacred and what is secular, between what belongs to the Lord and and what I will hold on to. There simply isn't. We come to Christ, we surrender to Him, we come poor in spirit, we surrender to Him, and the gospel takes root and the Spirit of God dwells us and begins to transform us Every bit of us. And so we need to remember that as we come to this text. Jesus bids that we come to him and die. Jesus says in Mark's gospel, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But if you lose your life, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We need to bear that in mind as we turn to our text. Now, The text that we're looking at has three parts, three sections, and we're going to walk through each in turn. Verse 19 to 21 is about treasure. Verses 22 and 23 is about eyes. And verse 24 is about masters. So let's turn to the first. Uh, Each of these, I want to contend, each of these sections actually gets at the same point. They're all illustrating the same point. Uh, um, illustrating what I want to call a law. Not a law as in a rule that we need to follow, but a law as in something that says the way it is, like gravity. We all experience gravity all the time, whether we think about it or not. We tend to only think about it when we have negative experiences with it. I fell off a roof once. Experienced gravity. Gravity is that force that draws two two bodies together. And the, the, the strength of that force... It's based on their mass. And and so we've experienced, probably many of us have experienced gravity negatively. But most of the time, we don't think about it. But the reality is gravity is at work all the time. It is impacting you and me all the time. And and so too what Jesus is pointing us to here, the, the law that he is expounding, illustrating for us, this truth truth Bob Dylan saying about you got to serve somebody that truth is at work all the time whether we're conscious of it or not let's look at verses 19 to 21 this section that speaks of two treasures 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says there are two kinds of treasures. There are treasures on earth, and there are treasures in heaven. And he tells us, don't store up earthly treasures. And he explains why. He says earthly treasures are, are incredibly insecure. They, they are fleeting. They, they will fall through your fingers. Treasures on earth, he says, where, where moths destroy. Imagine, I don't know if this is so much an issue. I was thinking, when I was a kid, we had moth balls. I think those are poison, right? We don't use those anymore. But you could put clothes away, store them, you pull them out, and they're eaten by moths. There's holes everywhere. It's not real secure. They, they, they are destroyed. They fall apart. Or, or uh, vermin or rust, as many of us know, it used to be translated by the NIV. They translate vermin. The, the idea is decay. Like rust decomposes things, corrodes things. That's the idea here. So whether it's, whether it's rust or whether it's insects or rodents, uh, think crops in the ancient world. You, you farm and you, you harvest, you put all your crops in a barn, and then you go to sleep and rats come and mice come and insects come and your crops are gone. Or, or where thieves break in and steal. They didn't have banks in the ancient world, so you... you took your valuables and put them in a coffee can and buried it in your backyard or under your tent. And then when you went to visit Uncle Uzziah in the town next door, thieves came and they found that spot, they dug it up and they took it and it's gone. All of your valuables are gone. The, the point Jesus is making is that earthly things are not secure. That they will be destroyed, they will fall through your fingers. The mode of that destruction, the mode of their disappearing is not the issue. The fact is, they are insecure. That's what we need to know. In contrast to that, Jesus says, and, and notice this, Jesus doesn't forbid that we lay up treasures. Right? He doesn't say, don't store up treasures. He says, don't store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures in, in heaven. Well, what are those? Jesus doesn't define those, but they're related to the life of the future, the, the life that, that awaits us, the life of the kingdom in all its fullness, with all its joy. Store up treasures that will have a lasting eternal impact. Love those around you with my love. Reach out to those around you who, who need to hear of me. Serve me. Give your life. Pour your life out for things that will last for all eternity. I'm reminded of Jim Elliott's quote. Jim Elliott was a missionary in South America and uh, lost his life. He was killed by natives. And Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now I think it's important to pause and say, hey, Jesus here is not, he's not saying, he's not forbidding all wealth. He's not forbidding that we have any money. He, this is not a ban on possessions. This is, it's not a ban on even a rainy day fund, an emergency fund. Ants are praised for storing up in the summer for what they need in the winter. But, but it, it does mean this. It means that your emergency fund is actually God's emergency fund. And that means that the emergency might not be yours. It might be someone else's emergency. You say, hey, here you go. 
here's, right? It's not mine. It's yours. I'm using it for, for God's purposes, for kingdom purposes. This is not forbidding those things. It's not forbidding us. Jesus isn't forbidding us to enjoy what he has created. God's creation is good, and we can enjoy it. Jesus, Jesus was called a drunkard and a glutton. He went to some good parties. He ate some good food, drank some good wine. Right? This is not forbidding that. The, the key point Jesus is making, the law he is highlighting, is that we all treasure something. And, and he's saying to us, whatever it is you treasure, your heart is going to go straight for that. Like gravity, like iron filings to a magnet, it will just happen. <laughs> in your life that will draw your heart to whatever you treasure, to whatever you love. Where your treasure is, there your heart will go. Let's turn to the second section, two conditions. Let me read it again. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus is describing two conditions of our eyes, if you will. Good eyes versus bad eyes. Healthy eyes versus unhealthy eyes. We, I think everyone here can see. I can't see as well as I used to. I think I've shared that with you, but I can still see. I'm still sighted. We're all sighted here. Some people live with blindness, and God enables them in amazing ways to live. But, but think for a moment with me. We all depend on our sight constantly, except when we go to sleep. We depend on our sight all the way, all the time in life. It, 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 it is so important, our vision. And here the contrast is essentially between blindness or being sighted, between being in the dark or being in the light. When we're in the dark, we, we can't find our way. We stumble around. We, we trip up. I've been here at sunrise for a long time, and often I'm here late at night, and sometimes I have to leave my office and go to the washroom, and just confession time. I often don't turn on the lights. I'm like, I know my way around here. I know where the chairs are or where they're supposed to be. More than once, I've hit either a straight chair or I've just lost my way and I've stumbled. You'd laugh if you saw that. Right? Darkness. We, we, we can't see where we're going. We can guess, but we're going to trip. We're going to fumble around. That's the contrast here. And, and Jesus is speaking of the eye metaphorically. There, there are places here, which John Stott writes, where, where the eye is spoken of uh, sort of synonymous to the heart. Here's what he says. Not infrequently in Scripture, the eye is equivalent to the heart. That is, to set the heart and to fix the eye on something are synonymous. So we fix our heart on something or we, we fix our eyes on something, it, it's saying the same thing. What does it mean to have healthy eyes? Well, the word translated there is a really interesting word that is used elsewhere to speak of being single-minded, not divided, not looking in multiple places, but single-minded focus. In other words, Jesus is saying, if your eyes are not focused on him and on his kingdom, you have unhealthy eyes, you, you are in darkness, you're going to stumble around. To have healthy eyes, to have light by which to guide you in your life means to fix your eyes on Jesus, to fix your eyes on Christ, on his kingdom, to not live with his divided loyalty. 
Healthy eyes are focused on him. Bad eyes are focused elsewhere. Bad eyes are, are focused elsewhere. And, and, and what's the law here? How does this work? You go where you're focused. Those of us who've learned to drive, maybe you remember when you were learning to drive, where are you supposed to look? Where you want to go? You're going to go where you're focused. Your life will follow what you're looking at. That's Jesus' point. Like gravity. See, Jesus knows us. He knows how we were made. He knows how we work. And he's saying, you need to have your eyes fixed on me and my kingdom. Let's turn to the third section. Two masters, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. First, we need to understand what, what do we make of this love-hate uh, language of Jesus. Uh, we need to understand that this is a figure of speech, common in that day, common uh, for, for the Jewish people. It, it, it is a way of emphasizing your preference for one over the other. D.A. Carson says this, to hate one of the two alternatives and to love the other simply means that the latter is strongly preferred. That's what it means. Jesus tells us, right? Jesus tells us <clears throat> that we need to, to, to love him and hate our father and our mother and our wife or husband and our children. Is he, like, literally? Elsewhere in Scripture, we're called to, to honor our father and mother. We're called to, to love our spouse, to love and care for our kids. That's, it. That's this figure of speech saying, your love for me needs to be so, so far above. That's the point. We need to understand that firstly. Secondly, Jesus is not referring here to employees when he says serving two masters. How many of you either now or have ever worked two jobs at the same time? Anyone? You can do that. Sometimes scheduling shifts might be a little bit of a challenge, but you can do that. But Jesus is speaking into the context of slavery where it's about ownership and wholehearted devotion. You can't be fully devoted to two masters. You can't be owned by two masters. In a moment of crisis, one will win over the other. Maybe this helps illustrate this. When I moved from Ontario to Vancouver area, I, I, as a sports fan, I would listen to sports radio. And I'd hear all this talk about the Vancouver Canucks. And I was born in Vancouver. When I was a kid, I had Vancouver pajamas with the big V way back. And, and I liked Vancouver. But, but then Toronto would come to Vancouver, or Vancouver would go to Toronto, and they'd play the Leafs. And I'm a Leaf fan. And, and I felt the same thing happen here with the Oilers. I like the Oilers. Until they play Toronto. And then, like, there's no contest. Right? You, you, can't, you can't have two favorite teams. You can't cheer for two teams. Not really. One will win over the other in your heart. One will also win on the ice. I want you to notice something else here. Jesus does not say you shouldn't serve two masters. Jesus doesn't say it's not good to serve two masters. He does not say it's really hard to serve two masters. No, Jesus says you can't do it. It's not possible. I know you. I made you. You cannot do it. And yet, many of us try. We compromise. 
We, we try to serve two things. But we can't, Jesus says. You cannot serve both God and money, or some translations use an, a different word, mammon. That's the literal word. What is mammon? Mammon is something that you put your ultimate confidence in. So it's translated money because that's where we tend to put our confidence in our financial ability to, to secure things for ourselves. You cannot put confidence, you cannot put your confidence in two different things. You cannot serve God and money. That's the point Jesus is getting at again for the third time. You got to serve someone. You, you can't serve two. Not you shouldn't. You can't. It's not possible. So according to Jesus, these things, this law, this reality is not up for debate. What you treasure, what you focus on, who you serve will lead you in a direction. It, it will shape your life reflexively. Like gravity, when I fell off that roof, I didn't have to think about should I go down. I just went down hard. These things are realities that operate on us. What you treasure, that's where your heart's going. What you're focused on, that's where your life is moving. Who you serve, you, 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 that will happen. You can't serve multiple masters. You'll serve one in that moment of crisis. It will come out. It's just a reflex. Years ago, I heard a story about a young couple got married, and she thought it'd be really funny to hide in the closet and scare her husband. So she did. She hid. He came home. He opened the closet. She jumped out. Sorry if I scared you. She scared him. Reflexively, he punched her in the nose, broke her nose. Felt horrible. But it just happened. That's the thing with a reflex. You don't think about it. It's not a choice at that point. It just happens. That's what Jesus is saying. So where does that leave us? Centuries ago, the reformer John Calvin said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. What Calvin was saying is that we have this, this tendency as human beings to make lesser things into ultimate things. He's saying that every one of us has this propensity to treasure the wrong things. To fix our eyes on the wrong things. To, to serve the wrong things. So what are we to do? What can we do? Because I want to contend that we can't, we can't change our hearts. Okay, treasure this instead. We can't fix our vision. We can't overcome our, our wrong servitude simply by our own efforts. We cannot transform ourselves. We, we cannot fix what needs to be restored. But here's the good news. The good news of the gospel is that we don't have to. That the Christian life, the Christian life, the life of discipleship is not a self-improvement project. It is the result of the good news of God's love and God's grace through Christ taking root in our hearts and transforming us. That Christian transformation happens as the Holy Spirit who indwells us as his people begins to have his way in us. 
See, what we can't do, Christ has done. Christ, Christ treasured the glory of his Father in his redemptive plan. Christ fixed his eyes on the joy set before him and, and became a man and endured the suffering of the cross. Christ willingly served his Father and gave his life up for us, for all who will repent and believe, who will look to him on the cross so that we are forgiven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not blessed are those who've changed their heart, who've changed their vision, who've changed who they serve. Blessed are those who come and know that they're a mess and they got nothing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The good news of God's love and his redemption through the cross takes root and begins to change us and transform us so that we begin to treasure God above all else. So we begin to fix our eyes on Christ above all else. So we begin to live our lives, pour out our lives for him because of what he has done for us. That transformation is a transformation that comes as we believe the good news. As we recognize our deep need. Jesus did all this to set us free from lesser things. So that we would gaze upon him to consider the cross. To soak our minds and our hearts with the glorious good news of what he has done. And and invite his spirit to have his way in us. So that, that we are transformed. So that our affections are changed. And so we come to Christ we're invited to come to Christ and say, Jesus, I look at my life and I, and I see that I treasure this other thing and I don't want to. Lord Jesus, change my heart. Transform my affections that I would love you above all else. That I would recognize that all those other things, they fade in comparison to the glory of who you are. Lord Jesus, transform my affections that I would treasure you. Jesus, lift my eyes from all the things that I'm distracted by. Lift my eyes from those lesser things that I focus on. Lord, I recognize that. But would you change me? Give me eyes that look for you, that look to the cross. Jesus, I recognize other masters in my life. Other masters that I have given myself to, Lord, I want to give myself fully to you. Would you transform my heart that I would serve you, that I would pour my life out for you, that in that moment of crisis there be no question, you are my master. We come as we are and we say, Jesus, change my affections. Do a work in me so that as this law operates on me, I am drawn to you. I'm drawn to you. For anyone here this morning who is not yet a believer in Christ, you've never repented of your sins, you've not put your faith in Jesus, I just want to speak to you for a moment. What Jesus is saying here applies to all of us equally. Whether you recognize it or not, right now, you treasure something. And maybe it's that thing that you treasure that, that is keeping you from Jesus because you go, you know what, I really, really love this and I think if I, if I believed in Jesus, I'd have to give this up and I don't want to. I just want to say to you, Jesus is a far greater treasure. Whatever your eyes are focused on, where, whatever is leading you in your life, Jesus is a far better goal. Whoever you're serving, whatever you're serving will let you down in the end. Jesus is a better master. So I urge you, 
today even in this moment to repent, just come to Jesus and say, I, I need you. I, I'm a mess. My life's broken. I need you. I need your love and your grace. I want you to transform my heart so that all those other attachments would fade and drip away, that I would pursue you alone. There are some, I think, helpful diagnostic questions each one of us can ask. Every one of us. What's mammon in my life? What's that thing or person that I've put my hope in? What, what, do I, what, what gives me hope? What gives me joy and delight? Answer those questions. Is it Jesus? Is it His kingdom? Or is it some lesser thing? What do I fear? What do I resist in God's Word? What parts of Scripture, when I read them, I go, Oof, I don't want to go there. I, I want to hold on to my sword and my fighting arm. I want to keep that for me. That, that's the Holy Spirit prompting you, saying, hey, you got to let go of this. You got to bring it to me, lay it down, and let me become your, your treasure. Bob Dylan was right. You got to serve somebody. Everybody does. You do. I do. Everyone treasures something. Everyone is focused somewhere. Everyone serves someone. Here, Jesus invites us to come to him, to come as we are, to pray honestly, humbly, say, Jesus, where I fail to do this, where I fail to treasure you above all else, where I fail to keep my eyes on you, where I fail to serve you, Lord Jesus, transform my affections so that like gravity, I'm drawn straight to you. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your beauty. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love, for your grace, for your glory, your majesty. We thank you for your gift of redemption. And we come humbly before you, Lord, and we recognize that our lives are so often not what you desire them to be. And we pray, Jesus, transform our hearts, transform our vision, transform our affections. We pray this in your name. Amen.